Did you hear? This is your Johnson County Library Insider. And now, our monthly must-knows. Here's the episode's call number. This time around, you choose. From the zeros, which include computer science, information, and general works, to the 900s, which include history and geography, we literally have something for everyone. With a collection like ours, it's truly a choose-your-own-adventure. We present your Word of the Month. Collection. Hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of the breadth and depth of our collection. Here are numbers you should know. 25. Search our collection via the catalog and you'll get 25 results per page. Hi, my name is Sierra Simone, and today I'm reading an excerpt to you from my gothic romance novel, A Lesson in Thorns. A Lesson in Thorns, among other things, is about a librarian who goes to England and she visits a private library. Uh, And so that's what this excerpt is about. But even all of that isn't enough to explain the pull of Autumn Guest. Even the hazel eyes and crooked grin and sad rich boy disposition aren't enough. I can't say what it is that makes Auden so, so Auden, and that's professionally irritating. I'm a librarian. I like to catalog things. How can I annotate his metadata on my mental card catalog if I don't know what to annotate, if I don't know how to describe him or his effect on me? Looking like something out of a men's fashion magazine, Auden gives me a smile over his shoulder and pushes open the door. And then all my other thoughts fade away as I take in the room I've flown across an ocean to see. Northerly light, pale and diffused, fills the room from the dark wooden floor to the delicately plastered ceilings above. The center of the room is open all the way to the top, a full two stories, and the sides are flanked by two rows of bookshelves like marching soldiers, both on the bottom level and the top, with ladders studded at intervals to assist in getting things from the highest shelves. The top level is ringed by narrow galleries and accessed by a small but elaborately carved staircase near the stretch of multi-paned windows at the end of the room. A massive fireplace yawns against one side, disrupting the otherwise symmetrical layout of the bookshelves, and several chairs and a couple sofas have been arranged cozily around it. A drinks bar and random spills of throw blanket finish off the inviting space and I lose myself to a momentary dream of curling up and reading while the fire and the window glass keep the winter at bay outside. The narcoleptic in me can't help but think of all the lovely naps to be had here. The librarian in me notes the generous stone hearth and the healthy distance between it and all the books. There are two long tables stretching down the length of the room, a huge Victorian globe, and a few glass cases with motley collections of Roman coins and artifacts of metal and bone. And other than the ornate ceiling, all white but molded in what appears to be geometric patterns of roses and branching thorns, the only real decoration is the books themselves. Leather spines of claret, cinnabar, and citrine, cloth-bound tomes of sapphire and sage, and the requisite scatterings of umber and philomont and terracotta, which are the very picture of serious books, with their sepia colors and peeling lettering. It should be grim, this room. It should be forbidding. The stark white of the ceiling and the near black of the dark, dark wood should make it somber and church-like. The cool light pouring in from between the stark trees outside should make it lonesome and cold. But by some kind of magic, none of that is true. 
maybe it's the variegated strata of books, or maybe it's that I feel at home in rooms like this anyway. Maybe it's because it's Thorn Chapel, and I love Thorn Chapel. And when I think about it, the whole house is like this. Three stories of cold stone and glass should in no way feel as inviting and as enchanting as they do, and yet I feel utterly invited, utterly enchanted. I give a very long, very happy sigh. Do you like it? Auden asks quietly. I realize I've been turning in wandering circles for God knows how many minutes, and I feel like an idiot until I see Auden's face. He must have been watching me go all dreamy and hazy over his library, but he's not looking at me like I'm an idiot at all. He's looking at me like I've just told him a secret. This is the best place in the world, I declare, and he laughs. We need to take you more places then, he says. Welcome to the Did You Hear podcast. You're a library insider. This is Charles. This is Dave. And uh, you know what? Um we had a seven-part series called Discover Your Library. We did. And, uh, I don't know how good at you are at counting, Charles, but uh, this is number well, seven. I can usually count up to around 900 <laughs> when I'm doing Dewey Decimal. How do you month. know that? <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, my uh, goodness. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's crazy. I mean, we, we started this seven months ago. And it did, and I back uh, back then we had Shannon and Jack, and I remember, uh, mm-hmm. well, I I mentioned them because I thought one of them said this, but actually I think it was you that said that this was you know kind of an ambitious, um, yeah, endeavor. Um, yeah, and, and it, it, it seemed was. like it. We we were <laughs> dropping like flies early on. But... <laughs> True, but I mean, I, I look back at these seven months and. I have really learned a ton about our library system. A, a lot I didn't know. Yeah, me too. This whole going through every department and getting to actually talk to the people who do the different jobs has been very enlightening about all of my colleagues from different branches, different parts of the system, and finding out what do they do. Sure. Um, do you feel like you had a, a favorite episode? Huh. Um, I would probably have to say our episode that we just did with Joseph about events. It yeah. felt it felt laid back, more like a conversation, and I appreciated that aspect to it, and also just the insights that he was able to bring. I liked I liked that episode a lot. Yeah, I really liked the one on the arts. That was. Mm-hmm particularly interesting um that was good as well a lot of performances and putting pulling in all like the the poetry and the the writing and all of that Mm -hmm. that was good and the episode on patrons was pretty amazing as well yeah um especially all those stories that the librarians had about the patrons well so let's see here um events turned out to be um, our least listened to episode. So hopefully people will go back and listen to that one because it was fantastic. Yeah. Says yeah, Charles. Check, it out. check yeah. it out. It was a good one. Um, Community Matters looks like it was the most popular, okay. followed by uh, the episode on librarians. Um, okay, yeah. But, um, you know, you can go to uh, jocolibrary.podbean.com. All the episodes are there. You can go back and, and re-listen to them. So uh, they started back in June. Can you believe that? That's 
it's been a while, yeah. And 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 we recorded those in you know that initial episode in May. Mm-hmm. And so, discover your library was June second, yeah. and then July the eighth we dropped uh, patron yeah. uh, the episode on patrons, followed by yeah. librarians in August, then the arts. Um, That's so impressive. At the beginning of July. Would you imagine it would have taken us seven months of our monthly podcast to make it through all seven episodes? <laughs> yeah, boy. That's oh a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode, we're talking about our collections department. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's think... interesting. So the transition there is that, yeah. you know, we have our little mini collection of our podcast episodes for the Discover Your Library series, but... We're here to talk about the big collection. Right. And all the different people that work in our collections department, I think it's it's going to be a good episode getting to chat with all of them and kind of get a sense of what they think about what's going on in collections. Yeah. And, and, and you're you're currently in school, library school. I am. Yeah. And so you're, you're studying um, collections. It, I, I think maybe this right. would be a good place to have like a definition of what exactly is a collection. Ooh, <laughs> so that is a pretty broad term. I am in the collections class uh, as part of my my library science degree, and there, right now we're talking about how a collection is organized, and a uh, collection okay. is broadly defined as just the materials in whatever respect they are, if it's digital items, if it's physical books or media, anything that the library has that it provides to its patrons. So it's yeah. a broad category. Yeah, it's the, the, the content that we have. Yeah. And uh, it's the stuff that we have in the catalog. So mm-hmm. the physical items that you could check out, right? But yeah. as you said, uh, the e-resources as well. And so I think a lot of people are still coming around to getting that understanding that, uh, you know, it's not just a book on the shelf anymore. Ho, 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 far from it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're yeah. going to hear from uh, some different folks in the collections department today, and right. they're going to show you uh, behind the scenes looks at uh, all aspects of our collection. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, for those wanting like a tour of our collection, that ain't this episode. No, unfortunately not. But you're but, always but this welcome. Is better. To, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sorry. You, you're welcome to do what? Oh, uh, I was just saying you're welcome to visit any of our our branches, and we have helpful staff that can take you through what we have in the in the buildings. But this is more of a top level view of our collection and and the trends that we're seeing in library collections in general. So, Charles, I understand we have a musical guest again. We do. Uh, This month, I actually got to speak to Alyssa Jefferson. Um, She is a Kansas City area musician. She told me she's influenced by Motown and rock and pop sounds uh, and actually released her first solo LP in June of 2021. So... Hot new music for all of you to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a That's good show. Right. It's going to be and, a good one. And, and you know what? All that, the, the music, the, the reading, 
the collections, all that sounds so much better than us yammering. So maybe we should just like, I don't know, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get to all the good part. Let's do that. So I'm here with Beth Atwater, and Beth, please tell us uh, what your official position title is and what exactly that all involves. So I'm the fiction selector, actually the fiction and DVD selector. The official title is collection development librarian, and I buy books and movies. In addition to that, I also manage the existing collection of books and movies, meaning I make room on the shelf when we buy new stuff. Uh, I withdraw materials when it started to get kind of grungy and old or the discs don't work anymore. And I also make sure that we are adding new materials and spending uh, the library's budget wisely. Wow. So... I, I wonder what the breakdown is, and I'm sure I can ask uh, the uh, collections development department uh, manager. But is it is it pretty a pretty equal amount of fiction, nonfiction, et cetera, or or it seem it would seem to me like there'd be a ton of fiction. There's a ton of fiction. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, actually, the children's material takes up a huge portion of our budget, oh, sure. uh, and then in addition to that, the fiction and nonfiction budget is split close to evenly. Um, nothing's exact. But uh, in addition to that, we've got the DVD budget. So my share of the library's budget is a little over a million dollars, close to about 1.2 million. Wow. Um, and I spend that on materials. And I know it sounds like a lot of money, but sometimes I think folks forget how many copies of individual items we get. Uh, that's yeah. a lot of items and a lot of titles. But once you realize that there are some titles that have so many holds, we're buying 40 or 50 copies of them, it starts to spend pretty quickly. Oh, sure. uh, and so, yeah, in terms of the breakdown as to how much we spend on individual items, I don't have that right in front of me right this second, but I can tell you that overall, the amount we spend on nonfiction and fiction does is varied. It's not the exact same, same uh, amount, but the number of titles that we can buy really depends on how many copies we're needing to buy of each individual title. And I think we do buy a similar number of titles. I just buy more individual copies than the nonfiction selector needs. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so the um, the way the budget breaks down, um, it it seems like uh, I, I wonder if the actual number of copies end up being kind of equal. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. like some books are going to be more expensive than others. Right. The number of copies uh, are by by no means are equal. Uh, nonfiction titles are generally much more expensive sure. than fiction titles, and a lot of that is because of the type of uh, production they have uh -huh. uh, they, you know i don't know, can't think quite a better way to word that but a paperback book that's say mass market especially after our discount because we do get significant discounts because we buy in bulk from vendors uh -huh. we don't actually buy direct from publishers and we certainly don't buy from direct to retail bookstores um, we buy from vendors and those vendors have warehouses full of books that they have bought from publishers and they give us uh -huh. a discount based on how many copies we buy from the vendor. So um, yes, even especially after discount, a mass market paperback, a small paperback is going to cost, gosh, it might cost a third of what it cost for our nonfiction selector to buy one really? nonfiction book, because most of those are going to be hardback. And even those that are paperback are trade paperback. Uh -huh. And if you're used to what a trade paperback looks like and the cost difference, of course, paper is precious and it's a precious commodity these days. But once upon a time, it was, you know, somewhere between seven to ten dollars to buy a mass market paperback and maybe 15 to buy a trade. 
uh, and then to buy a hardback might be 25 or 30. Of course, mm. those are those are good old days prices from before uh-huh. <laughs> before sure. the plague years. But, um, well. <laughs> but, you know, when there's not a paper shortage, yeah, the cost varies significantly. But once again, based on holds, I'm buying much more copies, many more copies than our nonfiction selector is of each individual title. Uh, and most of my titles I have to buy multiple copies of. Sure. So, the price varies, um, so that, that therefore the number of copies vary. But the interesting thing is, I don't really know that the number of titles vary all uh-huh. that much because he he has fewer copies of each individual title to purchase. Okay, well, so so in this world of fiction purchasing, tell us something like pull back the curtain, give us a little glimpse <laughs> of something that maybe. Uh, Charles and I and our audience don't know about uh, the the whole process and what you do with selecting fiction. Sure. So the thing I always like to tell people when they ask kind of where the books come from and what the pipeline to get books from authors uh, to libraries looks like is that everything is double curated and bought wholesale. So essentially what happens is uh, whether you're an independently published person who author who is um, going direct to the vendor or you are working through a publisher, uh, there are book vendors and there are about three or four in the, there's a ton of book vendors, but there are about three or four primary book vendors in the country who deal with libraries uh, that that basically harvest all of the books that they know are going to be coming out on a, on a select date. And then they have someone who is a collection development librarian on site with them. So for the library, I'm a collection development librarian, meaning that I buy books. And there's someone also who works at our vendor that has something similar, basically the same job. And I give her a list of the kinds of books I'm going to be looking for, but not individual titles. So the collection development librarian from our vendor might find out things like I want these set awards, like a list of awards I want to see, a list of review sources that I want to see everything that was reviewed in this magazine or through this uh, website. Then she'll also get from me information about the demographics of our community. My library is this big. I have this much room on my shelves. I have this many libraries. So she gets uh, an idea of how many titles I want to look at. And she'll harvest those titles and put them in an electronic cart kind of like uh, when we go to Amazon and we build a cart and then go back to it later. She'll put an electronic cart together on the vendor's website and send that to me. And she actually sends several carts to me every other week. And I'll go through those individual carts, which ergo the double curation, and curate those carts a second time. So she's already gone through and harvested uh, some titles out of everything that was published. And then I go through and harvest some titles for the collection out of everything she's chosen. Uh, And those titles then I send to our tech services department. Uh, And those are the folks who make the magic happen. They actually physically place the orders, keep track of making sure we got everything that we ordered before we pay the bills uh, and get those items processed and ready for the shelf. So I am in a lot of ways a middleman, even though I'm a decision maker, because I have the opportunity to have a second pair of eyes harvest the wider range of what's published and send that to me. That is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's still just a ton of work, even though you have that kind of assistance. (laughs) It is. And I think the thing that's been really interesting since, uh, essentially since the world sort of shut down and then slowly sputtered back to life, uh, is that we saw a lot of deadlines missed by organizations that had a large bureaucracy. So the publishers, which are huge uh, machines, as you well know, uh, weren't meeting deadlines, were pushing back publication dates. A lot of it was because they couldn't go on tour and market the way they were used to. And Uh. so we saw a lot of indie publishing 
um, rise over the oh, course of the last couple of years, which really changed things because those independently published folks were not in the same review magazines and were not necessarily coming from our traditional vendors. We actually had to go out and get a second vendor. So we now have two that we work with regularly who uh, did a really good job of reaching out to indies and making it possible for independently published folks to get in their catalog so that I could look up those independent titles and still get our library discount. Wow. That is uh, some really great behind the scenes information and thank you for sharing it with us. So we are here with another member of the collections team, Hope Harms. And Hope, why don't you tell the fine people that listen to this program your uh, official title and what exactly that entails? Hi. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, yes, I'm Hope Harms. I am the e-resources, as in electronic resources librarian on our collection development team. And a big chunk of my role for the library is negotiating contracts and coordinating all of our e-resources that we offer. So that can range anywhere from a platform that we use for e-books to offering uh, access to an e-news site like the New York Times or e-learning like Udemy, uh, just a whole range of things. So um, making sure that one, we have access to that content and working on those contracts with each of those vendors. And then also making sure that they're accessible and library patrons can log in with library cards. They all interact with our system correctly to do that. So a lot of tech support as well gets folded into my... It just dawns my... on me. What we should have done with you, Hope, is we should have like had a quiz to see how many of the resources you could have named. Oh. I bet you could have named them all right off the top of your head. Sure. Yeah, we'll never know. So let's say yes. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, we offer a lot, which is really fabulous. Um, and we actually get access to a lot of resources through the State Library of Kansas as well. So I am part of that facilitation piece that ensures that our patrons can get access to the State Library resources through their Johnson County Library card as well. So yeah, a whole lot of resources and troubleshooting. And then part of my role is also just making sure our staff are aware of our resources and feel confident enough to know who to promote a particular resource to or you know when when it'll be a good fit for one of our community members and there's also a marketing piece there so I actually get to work in uh, conjunction with Dave and his team sometimes to help promote different resources yeah and, and we've had you on the podcast a little bit before um, I, I did an interview with you a while ago but we really like to dig into beyond just your day-to-day -day in this in this series we're doing now. We'd mm -hmm. like to, to dig a little deeper and see you know what? what's the behind the scenes for Hope. What What's going on in the collections department that not everybody would know about? Yeah, well, you know, it's a pretty dynamic space, which is good. Keeps me on my toes. Um, I think probably the most behind the scenes aspect of my role that our our patrons may not always see are the interactions that happen with our vendors that we work with. And licensing is everything in digital resources. So we don't get to own any of the content. Uh, there's somebody else who owns that content. We license access to it. 
and rights owners can change. You may be used to seeing that in something like Netflix, where there's a show that you were watching on Netflix and then somebody else gets the rights and that show moves to a different platform. That happens right. with library resources too. Uh, so it reminded they're... me of all my Star Trek shows that are now moving <laughs> to Paramount <laughs> instead of Netflix. Yeah. So that is real yeah. and that affects the library collection too. It's exactly the same, except we're providing access to all of our library patrons. It's not just an individual consumer account. So everybody with those exclusivity agreements um, makes things a little challenging when our mission is to provide access to information, but we may not always be able to have budget or resources to support every platform that's out there. So we definitely strive to meet most of the people most of the time. And one place that we've been able to do that, uh, an example of a sneak peek or behind the scenes, we in the world of our magazines have been looking at this space because our print magazines do get a lot of use, but as the publishing industry changes, right, the content has to exist in the first place in order for mm -hmm. us to offer it. Um, so as publishers of those magazines sort of shift gears in terms of how much they offer, we aren't always offering the same things in our physical collection. The pandemic certainly affected things in terms of how much foot traffic we were getting in our building and people browsing our physical magazine collection. Um, and then, you know, we've had some building renovations, those sorts of things interrupt access in different ways. And that gave us an opportunity to really look at the digital corner of the library. We've already offered um, a wide collection, a very big collection of e-magazines, but there are some really popular heavy hitters. So things like People Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Cricket Magazine for the kiddos, it, just a whole swath of things that we couldn't have access to because we, a different vendor had exclusive rights to it. Mm. So we made the decision as we looked at our collection overall and how we were providing access and shifted some of those dollars toward launching an additional platform. So it's not replacing it, but we have actually launched the Flipster platform that has exclusive access to some of these really popular magazines. And it allows us to share all of that content more widely. So you don't have to go into a branch. You can go into a branch and read it on one of our computers if you want but you can also access it right from your phone, your personal laptop at home, your tablet, wherever you are, you just log in with your library card. And that's been a place where we took, you know, a lot of user feedback. We worked a lot with other departments, you know, to make sure mm -hmm. that it was gonna be a good fit for our collection if we were gonna dedicate additional resources to a new platform to bring on board. But we have, so, negotiating those exclusivity rights is definitely a big aspect of my job that I don't know um, as a, a general book or streaming movie or music or newspaper lover you necessarily think about, but that's a regular part of my world. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate that you go to all of that effort. I think all of our patrons do as well. I was just in a training on, on that with you yesterday. Yeah. Where you were talking about going through with the vendor and making sure we didn't duplicate anything, that we were we were trying to broaden access to all of those resources. That's really cool. Well, hopefully, is that a new skill set to you before this job, or or have had you done any sort of negotiations before with vendors? You know, my negotiation with vendors previously probably was more on the tech support side and negotiating how much support they were going to give us. And sometimes it's it's less negotiation and more collaborative in uh -huh. that space. Um, 
because we have our library systems that work with you know your library card so that you can log in with a library card number and pin or password um, but what vendors offer and what we need to hook into their system can look different for every different vendor so a lot of troubleshooting on that end and um, so like is it collaboration and i think that actually is a very applicable skill that I have transferred over into the contract negotiation piece as well. It, I, the ideal, right? It, it's not always that way, but the ideal is that it really is collaborative. We're working with a vendor to figure out what our community needs the most and what they have to offer that'll best meet that need. Um, and we have had a lot of really successful relationships. So I, I negotiate through a lot of relationship building so I can understand where the vendor is, what they're offering, what they're working on and driving toward the market um, to stay stay in tune with where users are, right? And those are the vendors that we want to support and work with because they're going to keep providing our patrons the best experience too. So it's not entirely different, but in terms of negotiating a specific price uh, or how many um, patrons we can offer access to, that's been a newer aspect in this role. And I've been in this role um, for about four years this month, oh, wow. actually. Well, to, to wrap things up, just one last kind of crazy question. You know, it dawns on me with all these great uh, e-resources that you work so hard to negotiate contracts with, you know, the vendors and all that. Um, wouldn't it be great if we had like a web page for that? Indeed, and we do. <laughs> In part to your, thanks to your help, Dave. Nice segue. Uh, yeah, so jocolibrary.org slash e-library and jocolibrary.org slash research, but even e-library and research pages will kind of get you to those cross-sectional resources, all of those. That's our primary access point for offering things, spanning those e-magazines that we just talked about. Of course, beloved e-books. We've just launched newer e-books for kids this summer. They're super fun. Um, the whole smattering. And then a lot of really great research databases and online learning too. So yeah, jocolibrary.org slash e-library. Check it out. Thank you, Hope. Thank you. And we are with yet another member of the collection team, Elena. Hello, Elena. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks. Could you please let everyone know what your official title is and what that job entails? Sure. Uh, like you said, my name's Elena. I am the Youth Collection uh, Selector. Youth Selector, I think, is what the official title is. And I purchase all the youth materials in all formats. So I am purchasing for babies, uh, kids in elementary school. I'm purchasing the teen books. Um, I purchase... CD audios, and I purchase all the ebook and e-audio content as well as DVDs, and I also do adult graphics, <laughs> adult graphic novels. So I have a big. I was like, I don't know how to summarize this. I order a lot of things. That's quite oh. a combination. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. So I order um, both youth graphic novels and the adult graphic novel collection, and it's truly amazing. Well, Charles, I know you have uh, hard-hitting questions for her, but but I, I've got yeah. to ask: Is did you end up in the position of ordering graphic novels because that is a, a personal uh, love of yours, or 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 how did that happen? Kind of. We 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 try to be pretty flexible with um, as much as we can around who is ordering what, um, and so I actually ordered adult music. Before Matt came along, 
as like an interim role and I I love music and I hated ordering music I cannot explain it to you but like I just it wasn't my jam and so Matt loves that and so St. Beth was ordering adult graphic and at that time we had consolidated the teen graphic into adult graphic Uh uh-huh and so we thought it would be easier if I had control of all the graphics so I could sort of decide is it J graphic is it adult graphic um so there wasn't much back and forth. And Beth loves graphic novels, but for some reason, yeah, it just wasn't her jam ordering it, whereas it's it's mine. So so we well, just made that switch and it it's awesome. And and Charles, again, I know you have hard hitting questions, but I do. But the, I the hardest I, hitting questions of them all. But but I I, I, I just have to ask, uh, or or it's just an observation. It seems like there's a lot of teamwork going on there. There's a lot of you all um just kind of um you know, uh, identifying what your strengths and weaknesses are, filling in here or there, exchanging different roles. Uh, it sounds like you have a good team. Yeah, I truly do really enjoy my team. We, um, it's really nice. We all have a uh, work that sort of is insular. Like um, I have my own budget and I am ordering my own things, but it's nice to have them to sort of bounce ideas off of or, um ask questions of them. So yeah, we do a lot of collaboration and we work really well together. They're a great team. Fantastic. We're all giant nerds, so that helps. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this is going to be as hard hitting as Dave has hyped it up to be, but, <laughs> but, but I was curious uh, if you have kind of like, we like to provide a behind the scenes look at what goes on at the library. Do you have uh, like a, a good story of something behind the scenes from the collections department that's going on in recent days that that you could share with our audience? Sure. So for the um, kids area, we have um, just introduced a new product for circulation and it's called Wonder. Well, the product itself is called Wonder Books and they're what we call talking books. So it is picture books but they have an audio player embedded in them that will read the story out loud um and this was a year-long plus project and we literally we got it under the wire this year it was my entire goal this year was to get it done and i think we finally put the final pin in it this earlier this week so okay that's been my my win this year so so i'm trying to picture what that would look like can you kind of describe the books to our audience? Sure. So if you think of a picture book, whatever picture book, you know, is your favorite. Um, and then on the inside. Clifford. Clifford. Okay. So if you open up Clifford, there is the hard um, outer part. And on that hard outer part on the inside, on the lower left, there is a triangle, a black little triangle. And it has a play, a big pretty play button. And um, a headphone jack, and if you hit the play button there, it will read the story to you. It also has a mode we really like called learning mode. And if you um, select this mode at the end of, say it was Clifford, it would ask the reader um, sort of like reading comprehension questions at the end of it mm-hmm. to enhance, a li- to give them a little more, you know, literacy skills there. But if you if you just want to have it read the book to you, there's a mode for that as well. Okay. Is it is it kind of like the uh, does it detect the page turns? I was curious about when you're describing it there, or is it like they play a chime and you turn the page to follow yeah, along? It's a chime. 
some of them like tell you to turn the page. They all have different ways to indicate to the reader that it's time to turn the page. One of actually one of um one of our coworkers sent me a video of her son listening to it and just so attentively and yeah, he would put his hands in his lap and the minute the book told him to, he would turn the page. So it was really cool to see in action. Nice. Wow. And so this is new to our collection. This is not something new though, because I I remember this from when I was a kid. It was it was actually a kind of a big thing. Um you would go to a fast food restaurant and they would have these little picture books and there would be a record in the back that was like a, a sheet of plastic essentially. And yeah. you could play it and it would have the chime and you'd turn the page. And, and I know that that's a huge lit, early literacy skill is to see it and hear it, you know? So, so you're reading along with somebody else who's reading and that really helps you learn the words. But, I'm I'm surprised that we haven't had something or have we had something like this? It's just that this is one new product that there's a lot of it. Well, there's a couple of factors um, we considered when getting this uh, format. Uh, we have something that we call eCD audios and they are books with a CD in the back. Okay. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And I okay. remember those from when I was a kid too. But the problem is um, they are not producing those books at a high rate anymore. Um, sure. Access to CD players has gone down pretty significantly since Absolutely. I think we we're all kids. Um, and so I think this book, when we sat back and looked at access, I mean, I assembled, we've been thinking about this for years. The vendor has been around and we didn't think the product was quite where we needed it to be Okay. Um, for us to make that commitment. Um, but this year I assembled a team of youth librarians and we evaluated the product up and down and sideways. Uh Um, and we really thought it was about access because little, I think it's, you know, little kids don't have as much access to CD players as they did. Um, in this, you don't need any extra player of any sort to hear the book. It's just in the book itself. So we thought it was the right time to sort of, um, make the leap on this product and to start uh, purchasing it. That's interesting. Like it's kind of like some of the trends we've noticed from the other discussions we've had with the collections department that there's more digital things. There's less of the, those physical media things like you're, you're seeing of transitions from physical things to streaming or e-content or all of those things, but this is still a physical item, but it's taking away one of those physical barriers of having that disc. Right. Yeah. Um, So yeah, you can just load these up and I've heard parents tell me that they're going to take a bunch of them when they travel, like for the holidays and stuff. So do we have anything in the e-world that is similar to this product? Um, I mean, you can get picture books on Access 360. I typically, to be honest, I don't get a lot of them because number one, they are monstrously expensive. Mm. And if you get an audiobook for a picture book, it's two minutes, three minutes long. Mm-hmm. And with this, I thought it was really a great marriage of, um, like you said, the physical product, you get the audio and you get the book. So I felt like we end with the learning mode. We get a lot of bang for our buck with that. Yeah. I um, want to quickly go back to what you mentioned about, you know, you said 
backwards, frontwards, sidewards, all this with with the uh, youth services librarians. And so, uh, do you enjoy that relationship? Do you do a lot of collaboration with them? Does do they help you in the selection of the materials that you 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 buy? Yeah, so I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with uh, the youth librarians and all of our our youth people um, because I actually started as a youth. Uh, associate at Leewood. Um, and I actually have a committee, the Youth Collection Development Committee, that I formed partly to help me untangle this because it is a weird relationship. Like I uh, I have full control of the budget. I have a lot of purchasing power and purchasing decisions. And so with this, I really wanted to make sure that there was a whole group of people looking at this since it was going to affect the library as a whole and also affect how I was spending my budget. Um, and by my budget, I mean the library's budget. So I wanted to make sure everybody was on board with that. So everyone can make suggestions for purchase, um, not just youth librarians. So if anyone out there has a book that uh, we don't own that they think we should, anybody's empowered to put in a suggestion for purchase through our website. And it's no different with the youth librarians. And they, they frequently will. So That's awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today, Elena. And uh... Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge and the cool new the cool new books that were coming out for the the kids. with another member of the collection team. It's Matt. And Matt, why don't you introduce yourself to the fine folks that listen to the podcast and what exactly your role is on the team? Hi, my name is Matt Fegan. I am a collection development librarian for Johnson County Library, and I select new materials for adult nonfiction in all formats. So I buy nonfiction in a physical book, ebook, CD audiobook, e-audiobook and large print. I also select uh, new new uh, music CDs and video games. Very cool. Yeah. So so you deal with the facts and so we're coming to you <laughs> for with some hard hitting facts. With hard hitting <laughs> facts. Uh, so we were just curious, what are some current trends in the collection department that you're seeing from the behind the scenes perspective? current trends I'm seeing. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, I'm really what one of the things that I've been dealing with over the past, you know, year or so is, you know, how we have, we have adjusted to the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, I was, I've been in the collection development team about three years now. And just after my first year, as just as I was starting to settle in, the pandemic hit. And, oh. you know, we were looking forward to our, our spring 2020 publishing season, but, you know, the pandemic caused a lot of disruptions in everyone's life. Right. And the publishing industry was especially hit hard. I saw, as I saw, many delayed releases and uh. de de delayed releases and, and flat out cancellations of, of forthcoming print materials. So uh, that was that is one of the big trends that I had to really kind of adjust to. Um, you know, for example, I did get like a list of of upcoming um, travel books from our vendor mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, a week later, most of those travel books were all canceled by the publishers. Uh, I, I can imagine travel yeah, was right. probably <laughs> one of yeah. the ones that they would cancel quickly for, yeah. for all the, the COVID troubles right. with and, publishing. 
And as we, you know, last year, as we saw patron at, at Johnson County Library, we did see that patron browsing inside of our locations dropped, but the number of holds placed on physical items increased as we oh, wow. added curbside holds pickup at many of our locations. Hmm. We also saw increased usage in our digital collection. So the collection development team had to pivot and adjust to the different ways our patrons were using the library during a pandemic. So we had to make sure that our patrons still had access to the materials that they needed. Yeah. So, so what were some of the things that you did in that pivot? I know you mentioned the, that we worked with the circulation team to start doing some more of those like curbside pickups that you'll see still at the locations. Cause that has continued on as a, a regular service that our patrons really liked. Um, what were some other examples Right. So the, uh, you know, for, for nonfiction selection, you know, I, I continue to purchase items in print. However, with many print releases canceled, I ended up moving some money within my budgets and increased our ebook and e-audio title selections since these are more pandemic-proof items, right? Ebook and e-audio copies are delivered to our collection digitally, which is much faster than print copies. Um, you know, print books need to be in stock somewhere and shipped to the library to acquire them. And, you know, that takes anywhere from four to eight weeks for physical items to arrive. Whereas digital ebook and e-audio copies are usually available for patrons to check out just a couple of days after purchase. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> you know, that was one of the things that uh, that we really did was, you know, the increasing that ebook and e-audio titles to we increase the selection to help supplement our physical collection. Um, and I think it really enhanced our overall nonfiction holdings at Johnson County Library during the pandemic. And, you know, our, our digital collection continues to provide access for our patrons, for many patrons in our community. Um, sure. But the collection development team continued to support our physical collection. And we, we met our patron demand by monitoring the number of holds on our titles. However, there were a couple of high demand titles that were scarce of print copies available to purchase. So I added electronic copies to help alleviate the increased demand of the backordered print version. Um, for example... Uh, the book White Fragility was a high-demand title in adult nonfiction last year. It was originally published in June 2018 and was initially a moderately successful title in our collection. Um, we purchased added copies based on the number of patrons who have a hold on a title, and we added a couple of copies to meet the initial demand. However, a year and a half later, in March of 2020, that demand for this title increased over 10 times, and it, wow. it literally happened overnight. Wow. Um, this title was suddenly at the top of many people's list of what to read next, and the holds list for this title jumped to well over 300 patrons waiting for the print edition. So that yeah. sudden demand for this yeah. book seemed to really even catch the publishers off guard because at that time, print copies were scarce to come by and was out of stock at all of our book vendors. Oh but thankfully, our digital collection, with our digital collection, I was able to instantly purchase more ebook and more e-audio copies to fully meet the patron demand in those formats which also had exponential increase in patron holds. Um, our order of the, of the print copies eventually got delivered, but you know, I like to think that the ebook and the audiobook copies were very useful in 
helping with this unexpected spike in patron demand. Well, yeah, and and you mentioned there, I, I'm sure people can gather from our our discussion here, um, purchasing extra copies based on need, because that's something that we do with any title that that we would have that kind of big influx of people wanting to get a hold of it, and we only have a few copies. We would try to try to expand it based off of the ratio of holds, right? That's that was That's my right. understanding. Yeah. That's right. Yes. For for print, mostly we purchase at a five to one ratio. So for every five patron holds, we want at least one copy to fill those those holds. So, you know, you can do the math as to, you know, we had six copies, you know, to start off with, and now you know we have three hundred holds. We you know, we have to purchase more copies in order to to meet that demand. Wow. But yeah, we do that with all of our print and also all of our uh also, all of our electronic, all of our, all of our ebooks, and all of our e-audiobooks, we check that weekly to check on the the holds ratio and to you know see what what titles we need to add more copies of. Very Boy, cool. it sounds like there's there's just a a, a lot of um, you know adjusting on the fly in your position that I I guess I had never really considered. I'm sure a lot of our listeners hadn't really thought of that too, but but. You all really keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on, and and you know uh, if there's a need, you identify it and you you satisfy it. Yeah, we we definitely well, and using what resources we have available to us, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and we we definitely had to do some pivoting and some adjusting, but I I honestly I I think that this you increasing our our e selection especially in adult nonfiction, I think has greatly enhanced our, our overall holdings. And uh, I think it's been a great success. And I think our patrons are also very appreciative of it as well. And we're appreciative of you coming on and sharing with us. Yeah. How, how long have you been on the uh, collection team, Matt? Uh, this is, I've been, I've been with collections a little over three years now. Wow. And what's your favorite part of the job? Oh, my. Uh you know, my favorite part of the job is really kind of going through some of the those uh, those advanced lists that I get from our pub from our from our vendors of the forthcoming titles, and you know, most of my a lot of my job is done with selecting titles that are still in pre-publication. So, you know, I don't have the luxury of, of having the item in front of me. I might have a review. I, most of the times I don't have a review for, for pre-pub items. So it's really kind of, you know, taking a look and seeing what's coming out and making a judgment call as to, you know, what's going to be successful in the library and what would be useful uh, for, for our patrons. So the next time that you read a nonfiction title, just go ahead and kind of say into uh, out loud and, and into the air at, at the library. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. We, this, this was really interesting and uh, we appreciate the time. Oh, my pleasure. We are here with the head of collections, the the big cheese. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, the head honcho, the 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 number number one collector. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to cut you off. <laughs> 
So we, we have uh, Lacey with us. And Lacey, could you please tell the fine people that listen to this podcast what your official title is and what that all encompasses? I sure can. Thank you so much for that very large intro. Um, yeah, my name is Lacey Griffin, and I'm the Collection Development Manager for Johnson County Library. And I'm also the Interlibrary Loan Manager, too. Um, so I am all about getting all the things to, for all the people. And and so you manage the, the collection staff, and uh, I think we met everyone on the staff. It's a four-person team, right? Oh, but then with Interlibrary Loan, how big of a team is that? So our interlibrary loan team is also, let's see, we have, um, I have to count it up, four full-time staff and one part-time staff. And then on the collection development side, we have those four full-time selectors. And then we do have a clerk that helps us out too. And she's um, she's part-time. Wow. So I, I imagine that keeps you very busy. It's very busy. They're lovely people. But yes, it's a, it's a great 10-man team. Huh. Well, uh, so I just have uh, one big question for you. And would the library exist if we did not have a collection? Ooh, good question. Um, it would exist. I would definitely agree with that. And it's funny when you say without a collection, because collection can mean so many things, right? Um, when people normally think of a collection, they think of books and just a big old building full of books. Right. Um, but in that, you know, we try to make sure that we can provide experiences and also different materials outside of books and even, you know, materials that are digital that come straight to your phone or straight to your computer. And so in the collection world, um, we kind of like have out, I would say today's libraries have kind of like reached out beyond just the, the book and the librarian with the glasses who's shushing yeah. you in the corner. Um, and have tried to reach into all different types of avenues. Yeah. And so um, a library without a collection, I feel, would still have the ability to prov um, to provide that access by partnerships, by outreach, by even just having a building for people to come in and use the Wi-Fi. And that there's a whole lot of uh, things that we've evolved into wow. to be able to provide as much as we can uh, for people to be able to use. You know, what's amazing here is I was just setting up a bad joke, but you <laughs> totally ran with it and, and made it very thought provoking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so it's funny because um, that's one of the things that we're trying to always, you know, get out there, right, is that yeah. we have so much more than just books. And I mean, if you are looking for a laser cutter to be sure. able to put together those Christmas presents that you've always wanted. Um, yeah. We have those as available too. Now you probably can't take it home and use it. We'll probably ask right. you to use it here, <laughs> sure. but, uh, but yeah, the collection itself is really interesting because there's so many artifacts and 3d objects. And um, I think a lot of the time, especially when we're moving towards the future and stuff, um, just Wi-Fi itself, just being able to get to the internet itself is kind of like part of our collection that we want to provide to people. Yeah. So, so Lacey, do you have like a, a current trend you're seeing within collections that, that you wanted to, uh, you could highlight for us that reaches out to part of that, like access to materials side of things, just to give people a, a concrete example of what what you're talking about. I know you, you mentioned 
makerspace and some other things. So maybe this is an yeah. unnecessary question, but. No, uh, no, I think this is actually, uh, so um, a trend that I'm seeing, which is really interesting is um, CD audio, right? So audiobooks, or as I, because I'm old enough to do this, I call them books on tape, even though <laughs> I don't think there's a millennial out there that knows what a cassette tape lo looks like. Um, but that is actually a trend that is changing um, quite a bit, so, especially since the pandemic. It was kind of changing beforehand, but then when the pandemic happened, um, it, it started to, to move like at a much rapid pace. Um, so basically with CD audios or books on tape, um, it's an audio book. Traditionally, they've either been, well, at the beginning of time, they were on cassette tapes, but uh, now they're on CDs, which if my kids look at, they think are a huge pack of movies because they don't get that you could just have sound on discs, right? And so we had seen for many years a trend of those starting to be published and um, being able to be purchased less and people moving to a digital format, especially as phones were able to hold audiobooks, internet getting better, you know, space on your phone getting larger. Yeah. Um, there was a transition to that and it was slow moving and, but it started probably way back in 2012. And so some cars would no longer have CD players in them, and then they would come back for a little bit as a right. standard model, then they'd go away again. So we kept thinking that when cars finally stopped putting CD players in as a general model, that that would be kind of when the transition would happen the most. Um, but with the pandemic and not being able to check out from a library for a couple months, not, you know, stay-at-home orders, harder to get out of your house, a lot of people transitioned very quickly. So the whole industry for audiobooks is really moving at a very rapid pace towards the digital format of that. And um, I think something that was going to kind of phase out uh, a little bit more gently is going to happen um, a bit more abruptly now at this point. Hmm. So we've, we've definitely seen a huge um, kind of decrease in the amount of physical CD audiobooks we're checking out and an extremely large increase and the amount of audio books that are coming through our digital format, Access 360, um, through the apps that you're able to download on your phone. And then probably not only not only that, uh, that physical like infrastructure of not being able to have CD players in cars, but also a lot of people seem like they're working from home nowadays, so yes. you don't have that commute time to to listen to an audio book. That's that's really fascinating. Yeah, and it was an interesting thing too. Audible did some studies on that because without the commute, they were wondering if that was going to affect their um, downloads or their patronage and stuff. And people are still listening to them even without a commute in earphones on the subway going, um, you know, listening to your phone. Uh, they've actually, that whole industry has just blossomed and wow. um, they're up quite a bit for the year. So yeah, it's mostly just affecting uh, CDs and CD players, um, everything else seems to still like seems to be just growing gangbusters. Well, that seems like quite a challenge. And what what other challenges do you do you face in the collections world? Um, that is that is definitely probably one of the big ones of when a format is going to uh, end and moving on to another format. Sure. Um, and then some of the other things we have too right now is definitely supply chain issues, uh -huh. um, shipping, receiving, 
one of the funny parts about publishing is almost everything gets published in either the spring or the fall. There's two major publishing seasons and a lot of really main titles either come out in spring publishing and then the fall publishing is even bigger than spring. It's like the juggernaut of of publishing. And And so particular reason why? uh, I think it probably has to go with holiday season. It probably um, mirrors with that. Also publishing uh, in general, um, you know, the process used to take much longer, right? And printing presses being run and things like that. And so there was always a time of year, uh, even back hundreds of years, in which it was just, uh, you would get everything done throughout the year, be able to publish this book and then go on. So I think that's why the fall one became so big. And then, of course, it just coincided with commercialism and, and uh, you know, Christmas and things like that. But um, it's fall publishing is very large. And so with it running now into that commercialism and hitting the same time that everybody is trying to get all of their stuff shipped from Amazon for Christmas presents and such, it was kind of causing um, a little bit of supply chain and shipping issues for us even before the pandemic. And now having, you know, shortages of paper, shortages and glue that they're using to put books together. Um, the different shortages that have happened through 2021, plus the shortage of truck drivers and the shortage of shipping and the cost of shipping right now, um, there's been a, it's been quite a bit of a challenge, especially this year, even over 2020, yeah. on being able to get those titles in. Um, and so they've actually had to push back some titles due to shortages, or uh-huh. we just know that we uh, we're going to get ours a little bit later. Well, let's jump to the positive side. So what what have been the uh, surprises that uh, has made your team pretty happy about your 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 um, life as collectors? Oh, man, there's been so much. Um, so that whole push to digital over the summer um, was really, really interesting because it was able um, – so one of the biggest things that we really want to do is, you know, to provide access for people. And – you know, being able to provide access to information and to materials and to movies and to music and to CDs um, or, you know, uh, audiobooks at a home, being able to bring all those things into somebody's home uh, without even having to have the building, without them having to leave, being able to meet them right where they are at that exact moment is probably one of the like ultimate ways of being able to reach people, right? And be able to provide something that's convenient for everybody to be able to use. And mm. so being able to see how many patrons we were able to transition to and be able to get into these new services and we're downloading, you know, uh, a different TV shows and we're downloading different music and we're downloading different books without even having to like leave their home and to be able to provide that service where they could look up the newspaper, they could look up different databases and information and not be isolated in that time in which nobody was able to get out uh, was a real exciting time. Um, It was really neat to be able to see all of those advancements happen in such a very small amount of time and to be able to provide those type of things to people who um, could very much feel isolated or like uh, they didn't know what was going on with the world and things like that and being able to provide those avenues for them to be able to seek it out themselves. That was that was really great this last year. Cool. So so you talked a little bit about some successes there, some mm-hmm. some challenges, some exciting things that have been going on. 
what does the future of collections look like from your your vantage point there, leading the team? What do you have anything coming down the pipe that you can share with everybody? Ooh, the future. So I'm excited to um, start to get people back in the buildings again. Uh, that is one thing that has taken a little bit longer, I think, than anyone particip- you know, anticipated was, mm-hmm. you know, getting in-person programming and people back into the buildings and being able to serve people with from within our library walls. So I think the future is really trying to, you know, draw people back in, getting those resources back out again, and then also being able to balance um, a physical usership and an in-person um, you know, interaction with the patron while still being able to keep all the digital advancements and um, outreach that we've been doing to be able to get into people's houses in a digital format. I think that the future is definitely going to be having both of those things, not losing traction in one while keep having the other one come back, but being able to do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how many years have you been on the job now? Let's see. I've been working for Johnson County Library um, in the collections department for, for, I think, next year we're coming up on 10 years. Oh, wow. And and that that wasn't entirely in your current position, though, right? Wasn't always entirely. Nope. Um, I was hired uh, almost 10 years ago to do the youth collection. So Elena McVicker, which I think you've talked to already. Yeah. yeah, So I was in her position. And then in 2017, um, I uh, became the manager of the department. Oh, very good. So what what are the biggest changes you've seen over the years? Um, I mean, especially, like, give us a behind-the-scene look at at your life, you know? Um, Not necessarily about changes in the collection, but changes in your job. Yes. So, um, changes in my job. Well, you know, I was very children's focused before <laughs> being able. I had worked yeah. in um, school libraries for 10 years before I started uh-huh. at Johnson County Library. And so I had worked in elementary schools and in middle schools and had um, really had a very large focus on um, children's materials and children's access and things like that. So the biggest change I would say would be moving from that um, kind of like more narrow view of children's outreach, children's reading, um, children's literacy, and moving up into kind of just like an education for all and um, continuing access for all. So that was the biggest change, I think, for me. Um, Also not having to read so many um, kids' chapter books and being Mm. more, (laughs) um, not always having to keep so much with trends and being able to follow some of my own you know, like, um, I really like graphic novels. I'm, a, I really like movies and things like that. Yeah. And so being able to kind of take some more of my geekdom up, uh, professionally as well was, is, was a big change. Well, you, you know, I, I think you bring up something interesting and I think members of the audience may not know exactly how it works in collections. I could see somebody thinking that you don't review every piece of material that you purchase that you're just going based on lists like bestsellers or award winners or things like that. But it's not, right? Well, it is and it isn't, right? So we don't get to, you know, man, if we could read every single thing before we purchased Mm -hmm. it, that would... 
Oh, oh, so much time. Um, a lot of the time what we do in collection development is we will, um, you know, we'll get lists from the publishers. We'll get sales reports from the publishers. So we'll get marketing and sales pushes. So we know how many um, pre-pub copies of a book they're making. So if they're making 100,000 copies of a book, it's probably going to be pretty big and we're going to need a few copies. But that will also let us know how much marketing they're going to have pushed behind a title before they print it and things like that. And then with that, we also follow quite a bit of fandom, right? Um, so in 2019, self-publishing actually eclipsed all of publishing together, um, which is really exciting and very hard to follow at the same time. It means that a lot of self-published books, a lot of books that didn't get picked up by big publishers and that had very small marketing schemes or, or print runs were actually dominating the market and becoming the most popular. And so to be able to chase that, you really have to be able to like dig deep into fandom and be able to follow uh, different blogs different social media posts, different social media groups, um, different local writers, different uh, kind of like Goodreads, honestly, is a very good chance for that. Um, you can usually tell if you uh, follow some of those blogs and, and look a book up on Goodreads, if it has a really big Goodreads follower following, it might be something self-published that the author does on their own, but has a huge following behind that you wouldn't know without looking that up. And so there's this um, interesting like subculture that you always have to keep your thumb on. Uh -huh. And when I was ordering with children's, you know, you'd be, you know, engrossed in that and things like that. And so I would spend enough time doing that, that I wouldn't get to like, look at some of the adults, like I just wouldn't have time to follow some of the uh, adult blogs and things that I would like personally want <laughs> to be looking at. And um, that freed up a lot of time when I was no longer the children's selector to kind of like be like, do I, you know, what what kinds of things do I want to look at and read? I had more time in my personal time to to kind of branch branch out a little bit and kind of figure out what groups I wanted to look into again. All right, well, Charles, you you still have some big questions, right? One or two? Yeah. So I don't know if this is a a big big question but i was just thinking about you um you're talking about those independent publishing and i like i like to read westerns and i know a lot, that's a, a tough thing in westerns too because so many of those are now not going through the major publishers they're going through independent publishing and mm -hmm. and it's hard to hard to keep track of everybody but yes it really is kudos to the team and and everybody for trying to stay on top of that because there's been cool new finds that I've, I've been able to find through the library. Yay, I'm so glad. Yeah, definitely things that are genre, niche genres like horror, Western, um, cozy mysteries, romance. A lot of those will fall into that category where um, self-publishing is blooming, which is great. And you really have to uh, keep track of what's going on a little bit. Um, a little bit more diligently than if it was being carried by a by a major publisher. So, do you have a a favorite new part of our collection that you have found recently? I, if you want a little time to think, I can I can go with one. <laughs> I uh, I just recently checked out the Makerspace Sound Production Kit because I have an interest in 
music and sound production and um, checked out that microphone and have been testing that out. So that's been a cool find from our collection that we we have kits from the makers that people can can check out. Do you have anything like that 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 you would recommend people take a look at? So I have really enjoyed our graphic novel collection. Um, Lawrence Public Library, shout out to Lawrence, also has a really great um, graphic novel collection if anybody's looking for graphic novels. But um, yeah, Elena McVicker, she also um, does our graphic collection. And uh, we like just being able to keep omniverses and uh, print runs of things so that you can start at the very beginning. A lot of times with graphic novels, it's hard to keep the the one, two through 10 at the beginning of a very long series to look through it. Um, but yeah, I, I have started um, actually going through some DC and Dark Horse and <laughs> um, different graphic novels. I have a son who um, is a teenager now and uh, it's been something we've been able to talk back and forth with and things like that. And honestly, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time. I mean, in college I did a little bit, but otherwise I hadn't read graphic novels in, in years. And mm. so, um, yeah, that collection I have, uh, I, there hasn't been anything that I've been looking for that we haven't had, which has been great. Sometimes I've had to wait for it, but otherwise <laughs> we've always had the title and, um, that's, that's been a, a fun thing to discover over the last, last year or so. Well, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, I'll go ahead and end with this question. What has been the most enjoyable part of your job? What do you what do you like the most about your job? Besides getting to talk to us. Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness, besides that. Okay, let me think. Um so I I really see public libraries as being like the leveling out, right? It is an institution which allows anyone at any level, anywhere in their life, to be able to come in and to learn more or, you know, investigate more um, about the world around them. And so being able to have a job that's main purpose, main goal every day is to provide as many different viewpoints, as much information, as much entertainment, as much as we possibly can for anyone who is seeking answers to any sort of question um, is a really, really cool place to be. Very good. Well, it's been really fascinating to hear all the members of your team and then uh you provide some behind the scenes uh information as well and so we want to thank you for your time it's been thank very you. informative thank hope you. you yeah hope you this enjoyed has been it great thank you so much for asking me to join i've searched a million ways million ways million ways i've cried a million days million million days I've searched a million ways I've cried a million days just to
Million Ways by Elisa Jefferson, and Elisa is actually here with us today. Hello, Elisa. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Charles? I am doing good. Uh, so tell everybody a little bit about your music and your background. So a little bit about my background. I um, started in music at a very young age, at the age of 10 was playing in orchestra in school all through, you know, high school um, until I was too cool for school. And then... (laughs) As with all uh, rock musicians. (laughs) Exactly. And then picked up guitar at the age of 13, kind of messed around with that here and there, but really didn't start getting into music until I would say the mid-90s when I first started my trio, original uh, power rock trio, if you will. And it was known as morning fix mm-hmm. and, and then have been in, you know, a few other bands since then. Um, most recently released my self, um, debuted title album called tell me, um, back okay. in June of 2021. So that was, a a big bucket list item that I was able to accomplish. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so how would you describe your influences in, in music? You said orchestra. Do you, do you view yourself as an orchestral musician or, or more securely in that rock and blues type, type Def- genre? Yeah, definitely in the rock and blues genre. Although, you know, I do appreciate all kinds of music from jazz to, um, you know, good old R&B and pop but I would say rock is definitely my, my uh, go-to. Okay. Yeah. And it sounds like you've had a fairly cool 
time playing with a lot of big names from reading through the information you sent over. Uh, so, so you got to play at Starlight a while ago? Was, yeah, in that... October of 19, yeah. um, before the pandemic hit us. I was with the group called Mad Libby, and we got selected to play the side stage for uh, opening for Hart and uh, Joan Jett. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it was so fun. Super fun. I mean, it was on the side stage. We were not on the main stage. Don't get me wrong. But still, just to be that close to, um, you know, the energy and just all the people coming in and they would stop yeah. in and, and watch us before the show. And it was it was a really good time. Really good time. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, so this podcast is normally focused on libraries and, and the behind the scenes of the Johnson County Public Library. What's What has been your history with the library? Are, are you a library patron, lifelong card holder, sometimes visit? You know, sometimes visit, look into music. Um, my better half, uh, definitely, I think you guys have a lot of audio mm -hmm. books. Um, so yeah, and then I'm affiliated, not affiliated, I should say, um, friends with, uh, Chris Bryant. She's a real well-known, uh, lesbian author here in Kansas city, as well as KB Draper. Okay. And so, yeah, it's a very important, you know, part of the County to have, you know, those resources available for people. Yeah. Um, well this episode, we're actually focusing on the collection, um, in general, and I thought it would be fun to see if there is anything that you think people should check out. It, it may be in our collection, may not be, but just any materials. I know you just dropped a, a couple author names there. Um, any music or anything that you, you recommend people seek out? Um, you know, I would say, you know, definitely... Um would reach out to Mad Libby. They're a really well-known band. And of course I played with them. So a little partial, but there are so many original bands in this town that are so good. And um, hopefully they're in your, in your directory where people can actually yeah. find them and listen to their stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, usually we keep these, Interview's pretty short, so I'll just kind of wrap up here with uh, where can people follow you? Where can they find you on social media? All those important things to, to be able to track you down and, and hear more of your music. Sure. So if they go to my website, alisajeffersonmusic.com, that's A-L-I-S-A, jeffersonmusic.com. You can also find me on Facebook. And then I have recently started a, a cover band project known as Heart of Glass. Okay. And so you can find us on there as well. Um, December 17th, my acoustic partner and I are going to be doing our last show of 2021 at Lost Evenings Brewery in Lenexa. Very cool. And we'll be doing lots more shows in 2022. All right. Well... Hope everybody can go and check out some of those things. Take a take a listen to more of your music. Absolutely. I appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks for joining me. Have a good one. Did You Hear is a production of Johnson County Library in Johnson County, Kansas, USA. Find new episodes each month on our website, jocolibrary.org, and older episodes at jocolibrary.org slash didyouhear. You can subscribe to the Did You Hear podcast from our streaming home, jocolibrary.podbean.com, or search for Joco Library or Did You Hear at your favorite podcast streaming service. Also, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jocolibrary, on Twitter at jocolibrary, on Instagram, instagram.com slash jocolibrary, and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash jocolibrary. We'd love to hear from you via email. Write to us at didyouhear at jocolibrary.org. Hear a brand new episode on the 1st of next month. Thanks for listening.